0: there was a moment while the Holy Spirit was moving in a song called Worthy where to be honest with you I I was just flabbergasted by what God was doing in this song and in this room where we knew, I knew that in that moment where we were singing the very words that the elders are singing in heaven crucify
1: the one who was and will be worthy is the Lamb Jesus Christ the one who was and will
0: be the very words that the multitude the crowd is singing in heaven worthy is the Lamb. Who was and is and is to come. He was slain before the foundations of the earth. Singing those words in that moment was literally me partaking in a snapshot of a heavenly worship service. never forget it. And I'm so glad that you now have that piece of heaven with you, where you, every time you partake and you step into that moment, you can have that same snapshot, that same picture of all of us, both the living and the dead, declaring worthy is the lamb crucified, the one who was and is and is to come.
2: Good morning. Good morning, family. Uh, I, I want to start today just by well, let's let's admit it's been a crazy two weeks. And uh, by the way, I've had that album on repeat for the last two weeks. I've just needed those those words in my head and in my heart. And, but I, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your generosity. Um, I I know some of you know that I have a lot of family in uh, Fort Myers and Cape Coral. My my parents are there. My 91-year-old grandma's there. I've got two sisters and their family that all live there. um, uh, About two days after the storm, we uh, went ahead and we loaded up as much gas as we could, as much water and food supplies, and uh, went out, bought myself a big old chainsaw. And and we went ahead and and went down for a day to just kind of Refuel everybody, help everybody out, get got some uh, trees off houses, and spent the day cleaning up and Our intention was to go there for a day, help out, and then leave and uh, and that it was Friday evening we went to leave, and the Mayaka River had flooded, and they shut down i seventy five so we had enough gas to make it in and make it out, but we weren't making it out that evening, and so we had to turn back around and uh, and then we, we kind of experienced what it was like to be hurricane victims for about 24 hours. So we, we had to uh, wait in over two-hour lines to get gas, and um, it took us about six hours, what usually takes us about two hours to get home. And uh, while I was there, I want to let you know I saw a lot of good. I saw a lot of good. It's going to be a slow rebuild. There, there's a lot of rough stuff there and, and uh, some crazy things there. But I saw a lot of good. I saw a lot of people coming together. Uh, I saw a lot of Jesus followers, a lot of Christians uh, stepping up and being Jesus to the people around them. Uh, I saw people who don't know about Jesus asking questions about Jesus. And, uh, and so I just want to let you know God is doing uh, and will do a great work there. And, uh, and, and I'm proud of us for partnering to, to, to do a great work with them. And, and I thank you for your generosity and, and that we'll continue to do that. Uh, today we're, we're going to continue through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. And, um, and I believe that the author of Hebrews really has a simple message for us today. Uh, and I believe there's a simple message even in this message today that, that in times like this, we can easily, well, we can kind of forget it. We can kind of lose the message. When times get tough, when times get chaotic, when we have all these other questions, we can, remember, we can forget some simple truths. And so I think I have a very simple message for you today, but an important message, uh, for us to, to walk away with today. Um, but I think really the best place to start is just, if you would with me, admit something. Admit something with me and, and, uh, and just let's have a moment of honesty. And that is simply that Christians are weird, All right. <laughs> Um, I'm including myself in this. I'm a Christ follower, and uh, we can be weird. We, we can especially be kind of weird, uh, especially people who are, to people who are not Christians, who don't understand why we do the things we do or say the things we say. And, and, and so we can seem kind of strange, and, and the things we do can seem kind of weird. And, and what I've noticed, being a Christian for a while, is we can get weird, especially this time of year, especially during that, the Halloween season. Uh, I've noticed you know sometimes as Christians we we don't know what to do with Halloween. It can seem a little uh, too demonic, too scary, too uh, too kind of gory or bloody or unhealthy, or and uh, and and it always kind of kind of cracks me up how as Christians we try to handle this. Uh, for example, and by the way, I, I've done everything I'm about to share, so I'm I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. But but I know uh, there there are some Christians that. Uh, that we, Won't go to haunted houses, all right? Haunted houses, that just seems a little too demonic, maybe too scary. However, we will go down to the church down the street that's holding a judgment house. I I don't know if you've ever experienced a judgment house. Sometimes churches do this where they kind of recreate what it would look like if a person died. And so they often kind of build out this beautiful heaven uh, but you also walk through hell when you go to the judgment house. And, and so uh, you're walking through this hell experience and there's demons everywhere and people are screaming and getting tortured. It's terrifying. And so I, it just kind of hits me funny that as Christians, we won't go to haunted houses. They're too scary. But we love to scare the hell out of people at a judgment house. I just, I just think that's interesting. Um, the, uh, so Sometimes as Christians, we, we don't want to trick or treat. Uh, that just seems unsafe. Uh, that, that seems unhealthy. Uh, we will trunk or treat, though. And... Uh, because, because everybody knows the best place to get candy is out of a trunk of a car of a stranger. That's really <laughs> where we go. Same cavities, too, by the way. Uh, I, I remember when, when I was uh, growing up, a little kid in New York and uh, on Long Island. My dad was a pastor of a small church there. And, and my mom, she would kind of would run the children's ministry. And, and we had a tradition, and that was the Sunday before Halloween, all the kids were invited to come to church wearing their Halloween costumes. And there was one year in particular that my parents, they seemed kind of conflicted. And, and uh, it was because I had begged and pleaded, because I, that Halloween, I wanted to be a vampire. And, uh, and so I wanted to dress up in my vampire costume and go to church. And uh, to be fair, Dracula wears a suit. So, I mean, you're, you're halfway there. And and uh, and so I also had the cape. They let me go. I had the cape. I had the fangs. I had the blood dripping down the fangs. And, and, and I get, you know, it, it's... As Christians, we can get uncomfortable with vampires. I mean, they are undying beings who drink blood. And I remember I went to church that Sunday morning and we talked about how through Jesus we can go to heaven and become undying beings. And then we took communion and we drank blood. And <laughs> we're weird, right? Uh, so, and if we're honest with ourselves, following Jesus and, and doing things in Christianity, if you call it, you know, it, it's kind of, there's a lot of blood Involved, it's kind of a, a bloody practice or a bloody belief system, and and uh, and that's kind of kind of weird. And so, but but it is. It's kind of kind of how it was. And so, the writer of Hebrews, he, he's writing to Jewish uh, people who converted into Christianity. They decided to start following Jesus. They kind of crossed over from Judaism and into this uh, Christ-following belief system, and, and they're struggling. They're struggling a little because, well. It's kind of strange, some of the things that Christians do. It's, it's kind of weird, some of the ways in which they do it. And uh, some, it may even seem a little strange to even stay crossed over. You know, the kind of thing, maybe we should go back to the old way uh, that we used to worship. but that seemed to make more sense to us. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, 9, it, he starts off the very chapter by reminding the Jews that, hey, your old way of doing it was weird too. All right, he's like, you guys kind of had some strange practices. And in fact, let's remember that, well, one, you used to worship in a tent. All right, you used to worship in a tabernacle, and that's kind of strange. And, and, uh, and you might go into that tent, and the first thing you would see is a lamp stand, and, uh, and then you would see a table full of bread. I mean, that's kind of weird. Um, and then there was a tent within a tent. And just outside of that, there, there was this altar of incense. And I, I don't know about you, but any time I've gone into somebody's home, and they're just burning incense everywhere— Weird. I just, just, sorry if that's you, but weird. Okay. Um, and, uh, but there's this incense and then the tent, within the tent, the holy of holies, there was this box, it was a wooden box covered in gold and had two weird angels on the top of it. Just strange. And so he kind of reminds the people, the Jews, that, that you used to worship in a very strange way, in a, in a very weird way, but it wasn't weird to you because you understood the message behind the way of worship. You understood the truths that this this worship would remind you of. And uh, and so some of the truths that they would remember, they were comforting truths. And, and, and the way they would worship in the Old Testament, one of the truths was simply this: they would remember that God is intentional. God is intentional. I mean, the tabernacle it's not some great architectural build, it's a very simple build, but a very purposeful build. In fact, when God is, is walking Moses through the building of this tabernacle, he keeps telling Moses, Moses, make sure you stick to the plan. Make sure you stay close to the design. Because God is very intentional. Which means still to this day, he, he, has, uh, he, he designed you very purposefully, the way, just the way you are, that he was intentional with his design of you, and he has, he's intentional with the plans that he has for your life. And that's a comforting thought. There, uh, another truth that was revealed is that God is resourceful resourceful. He uh, tells them to make the Ark of the Covenant, to make it out of acacia wood before you cover it with gold. Why? Why acacia wood? Well, if you go to the desert, uh, the Sinai Desert today, and you look around, the only trees you'll see standing are acacia trees. No big forests in the desert. And so God says, hey, I can work with that. And I think sometimes, you know, as as followers of Jesus, we, we could start thinking, well, I don't got enough, um, or I've got too much interfering, or uh, God needs to give me more before he can do something great in my life, or maybe uh, I, I got the sin that's in the way, and God goes, no, 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 no. I can work with what you have. I can take what, what little or what a lot you have, and I can do a whole bunch with it, because I'm a God who's resourceful. And, and then another truth is simply that they reminded that God is mobile, Which that's interesting because back in ancient times, when you wanted to go ahead and worship a God, you would go and travel to the temple where that God resided. And you would hope to have an encounter with that God. But this God, the God of the Hebrews, says, I want you to build me a tent and to build it there in the wilderness. Why does God want to live in a tent in the desert, in the wilderness? Well, because his people are there living in tents in the wilderness. And God wants to be where his people are. And still to this day, God wants to be where his people are. And the the way they would worship, it would remind them of these truths. So, so far, so good. But here's where it gets kind of gross. Verse 6. It says, So the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year. And he could never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. The sacrificial blood we know is the the blood of, of animals that they would take i mean here 's where it gets bloody here 's where it where it gets, gets kind of weird and you know if you listen to the world around you, if you listen to the world around you long enough you 're going to get this message and it 's this idea that as human beings, we are evolved animals we are evolved from animals and and if you believe that, and, and, and some do, and, and you, then you, can, you pat yourself on the back, right? You, you go, hey, I made it through this weekend, and uh, I didn't give in to my animal lust instincts. I, I, I didn't give in uh, to my animal appetite. You know, I'd, that guy who just ticked me off, I didn't run over and bite him. You know, I, I, I held it together. You know, good for me. I am an evolved animal. But the scriptures of the Bible do not teach us that we are evolved animals. They teach us that as human beings, we are devolved beings, that, that in our creation, we were created in the image of our God, that we were created as His children, and that we devolved ourselves from the choices through the choices we made, that we devolved ourselves from our, our, our position, we, we devolved ourselves. Uh, through our choices in our our inheritance, the things we had been given, and that human beings are really devolved beings. And and we call the methods by which we we devolved ourselves, we call that sin. I mean, have you ever thought about it? What if if somebody did to us what we often do to God? I I mean, how does it make you feel if, uh, well, if you really care about somebody, a whole bunch, and you want to pour into their life and tell them, you know, some good things for their life, and they just want to have nothing to do with you? How does it make you feel when somebody says one thing to your face and then tries to do something different behind your back? How does it make you feel if somebody says, Oh, I love you with all my heart, and then they run off with another? And yet we do these things to God all the time. We call this our sin. It devolves us from that relationship from Him, from our our status with Him. And there's a problem with our sin. In fact, there's kind of this whole theological idea called the problem of sin. In fact, some people hang on to this and, and that's why they, they decide not to come to church or not to consider, you know, worshiping this God because the problem of sin, it goes something like this. If God is so loving, then why would he allow sin to exist? Why, why would he allow us to do bad things to separate ourselves from God? Why would he allow bad people to do bad things to good people? In, in the scriptures in the Bible and the Bible, In this passage of Hebrews as well, it reminds us that indeed, God is loving. And indeed, God is dealing with sin. God has a paradise for the innocent. He has a punishment for the guilty. And he has a plan for the repentant. And that plan just happens to involve blood. It happens to involve blood. In the writer of Hebrews, he talks about this blood. He talks about this on, on a very important Jewish holiday where once a year, the high priest would go into the tent within the tent. Now, if you have any Jewish friends, it doesn't matter if they're heavy practicing Jews or they're light practicing Jews, they probably show up to the synagogue for, for this one particular holiday. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In fact, if they're a light practicing Jew, they typically show up for Yom Kippur and Passover. It's kind of like in Christianity, we have priesters. I don't know if you know Christian. Yeah. They show up, right, for two holidays. We see them at two holidays. They show up for Christmas and Easter. Easter. Right. Don't worry. We're not offending them. They're not here today. We're we're, (laughs) we're fine. They'll hear about it months from now. But, but. Those holidays are important to us. The Yom Kippur and Passover, they're important for the Jews as well. Why? Because it was a reminder of God's plan to restore us, of God's plan to save us, of God's plan to handle sin. And, and, and this plan, well, it, it involved blood. It involved blood. And And... And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that, yes, there was this day of Yom Kippur where the, the high priest would have to come in with blood for himself, blood for, to cover the sins of the people. But he also goes on and reminds him, he says, you know, this is nothing new. It, Jews back, you know, Moses, when, when they were building the tabernacle, once they had completed it, he took a bunch of animal blood and he started sprinkling it all over the tabernacle. And then he took all the items that would go in the tabernacle and he sprinkled blood over them. And then he lined up all the people. And he sprinkled blood all over them and they were grateful for it. I just think that'd be fun to try on a Sunday. I just think, come on, one Sunday. might Make sure it's mine. Um, but I just think we can line up and see if you like it. All right? Let's just, but, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. But, but, but why blood? Why, why does God seem to care so much about blood? Or does he? You, you know, I think there's some truths we can admit when it comes to blood. There's a couple truths. Let's just be honest for a moment. One, blood tells the truth when something is wrong. Blood tells us the truth, something's wrong. You you might have been to the doctor. They're looking at you externally, can't quite figure out what's going on. And so what do they do? They send you for a blood test, right? The the, the blood will let them know, is the sickness growing? You know, how things, you know, what's really happening? The blood will will let us know when something's wrong. Um, In my house, I've I've got three kids. They come up with creative ideas now and then or creative games or things. Right right now, uh, I'm going to share this so maybe it'll enter into your home. But um, they have a game right now they call, it's been dubbed Blanket Wars. And uh, the way it works, the rules are that you can fight each other, but you must be holding onto a blanket with one hand and a blanket, the same blanket with the other hand. And so there's all these crazy moves they do. Now, my one rule is you can play blanket wars until somebody bleeds, right? So, because then you know you've gone too far. Uh, you, you know that, that blood tells us something is wrong. My wife does not like that rule, but it's entertaining. Um, <laughs> so... Another truth that blood tells us is blood tells the truth of where we've been, what we've done. Several times a year, my wife and I, we will donate blood. We believe that's a noble thing to do, and so we'll go to donate blood. If you've ever donated blood, before you can give a drop, you have to fill out this medical questionnaire. They ask you a ton of questions on this medical questionnaire. And depending how you answer these questions is whether or not you can give blood that day. And it always has to be a little funny how not politically correct these questions are on these medical surveys. Because I will have to answer all sorts of things about my, uh, my sexual experiences, my sexual choices, my sexual history, my, and to do that. And you can say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, apparently it matters to the medical community because it somehow affects my blood. Uh, I, I'll, you have to answer questions on how you like the party, you know, what, what kind of things do you like to, to take or do or whatever. You can say, what is not anybody's business how I like the party or the things I like to ingest or do that? Well, it matters to the medical community because apparently it affects the health of the blood. Uh, they'll ask me if I've been to some sketchy places on this planet. <laughs> and you say, what does it matter where I've been or what I've done or my past? And it's well, it matters to them because it apparently it affects the health of my blood. You see, the blood doesn't lie. The blood tells the truth uh, of where we've been and the things we've done. And the blood also tells the truth of whose we are. Whose we are. So, so my wife and I, we were, um, we were kind of gearing up for the hurricane, and and we wanted to make sure that the antenna, we, the antenna would work to our TVs in case, you know, because uh, we couldn't, the internet went down. Could we still get channels off the antenna? And so we're kind of checking that out. And as we mess with it, we get sucked into this one TV show called Paternity Court. All right. <laughs> don't like, don't act like it wouldn't happen to you. All right, come on. <laughs> So, you know, it's like watching Maury. It's a, you know, it's the, yeah. <laughs> I thought I got an amen on that. No, I didn't. We're okay, good. That's not. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's one of those shows where you're watching the argument happening, but you know it's all about to be resolved when they share the results of the paternity test. Because you can't argue who then belongs to who. And, and so for God, it's not so much about the blood as it is, who do we really belong to? Who do we really belong to? And in the writer Hebrews nine, in verse eight, he says, "For as long as the tabernacle stood, it it was an illustration. It was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshipper. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals, and, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived." What's the writer saying? In verse 9, he says, the old way of worship, the Jews did. It was an illustration. Or if you were to go back into the Greek root word in which this was written, you would come across the word parabole. It's where we get the word parable. This idea that this old way of worship was really more like a living story that would point to a spiritual conclusion. Well, what was the spiritual conclusion? Verse 10, it says, is that there would be a day of heart restoration that would arrive. Or if you go back into the original Greek in which that was written, it was this idea that God would set things right like a physician sets right a broken bone so that it can heal properly. Because before that, it wasn't healing right. It wasn't enough, as the text says, enough to clear our conscience. You know, in this chapter of Hebrews, this idea of conscience shows up more than in any other chapter's. Why? Why does it matter that our conscience is cleaned and clear? The gospel message, the good news of the scriptures, the gospel message is not, don't sin. That's not the message. And yet, Christians are weird. We will fixate on sin. It's what we'll tend to think about it. I thought about it this morning when I woke up. You know, we think about where we fell short this week and oh no, we're gonna see God and how do we deal with that? And sometimes it can, we can kind of fixate on our sin. Why? Because sometimes it feels stained upon us. Sometimes it feels loud, it feels ugly, it feels brutal, it feels gross in our life. In fact, maybe you've invited somebody to church and they said, oh, I can't go in there. The moment I walk through the doors, the ceiling will collapse upon me. You know, My sin, it's so, it's so great. And it can be easy for us to focus on the sin and forget that there's a plan that involves a Savior. In fact, the Jews, they would sometimes lose the message, lose the truth by focusing too much on the rules and the rituals. I mean, let's be honest, we, we still have kind of rules and rituals today even as we follow Jesus. I mean, you, you know you came you know, here this morning or you're watching online, and you know that we're probably going to do offering, we're going to do communion, we're going to do three, maybe four songs. Tom's going to wrap this up in 30 minutes or it's free. Um, the... <laughs> but we kind of have that. we got these rituals, and, and sometimes we can get lost in rituals and forget the truths behind them. And that there's intentionality, there's purpose in the design. And the purpose, a big part of it is so we can walk out growing, we can walk out learning, but we can also facilitate a connection with the God of the universe. Or sometimes we call it here at Harborside, an encounter with Jesus. That that there's purpose behind that, but we can sometimes lose that and and forget the truth behind it. Well, the author of Hebrews wants us to know that following Jesus and and worshiping him in in these new ways, that there are great truths to hold on to. And he, he starts in verse 11, he says, But now the anointed one, Has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle, not made by men, that is to say, not part of this creation. You see, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that if we follow Jesus, there are some new truths to understand. There are some new truths that are represented, and we get to be reminded of when we come together and when we worship, and and the ways in which we worship Jesus Christ. And, And one he wants to remind us is simply there is a heaven that there is a heaven. He talks about that, you know, here, here the anointed one went into to a heavenly realm. And I think we can walk away this morning knowing that there's a heaven, at least for two reasons. One, because the scriptures of the Bible tell us over and over that it exists. And two, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we know it does. You could talk to somebody who believes in Jesus, who doesn't believe in Jesus, but we can agree that if we're honest with ourselves, we can sense There's something bigger out there. There's something more than all this. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that eternity has been written on our hearts. When we're quiet, when we're honest, we can sense it. That there is, in fact, a heaven. And then he goes on in verse 13. He says, Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls, goats, and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice that now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God. See, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that there is meaningful life. That in the old way of worship, we could worship, but there was a problem. There was a problem. We could put a lot of effort and energy behind it, but it was still dead works because we were dead people. And But Jesus comes so we can cross over from death to life. But before that, there was death, <laughs> Before that, we could work really hard, but it, it, it kind of the fact that we were dead people doing worship got in the way. I mean, if you think about it, if we, if we did worship this morning and we sang several songs, but all the worship team was a bunch of zombies, um, we might struggle worshiping. You know, we say, you know, those lyrics are great, but we should probably handle the zombies on stage. Or, you know, or, or if I preach this message while on life support and hear that beep, beep, you know, going on, you know, that might be a little distracting. You know, you might hear a little bit of what I have to say, but we might say we might want to help Tom get off life support. And so what the author is saying is that we don't have to worry about that anymore. For those who follow Christ, we have crossed over where that anything we do in his name is now meaningful. Any breath we breathe and effort we put forth is now, we don't have to worry about being, them being dead works. They are now part of, a, of living works with a living God and that the life we live out now is meaningful. And that Christ had enough power Hadn't did enough effort to to cleanse us of our conscience, to, to free us to cross over from those dead works to living a purpose and serving an eternal God. And then he says this in verse 15. So Jesus is the one who has enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God so that those who accept the invitation will receive the internal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under the first covenant. And verse 22 says, actually, nearly everything under the law was purified with blood, since forgiveness only comes through an outpouring of blood. What truth does the writer of Hebrews want us to be reminded of? It is that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness available. Now, early in the chapter, he keeps talking about this bringing of blood. And it's kind of this idea that there were animals. They did not want to die, but they got killed and their blood was brought on the behalf of humans. But all of a sudden in this verse, for the first time, we, we see a different word show up in the Greek. It's a really long, it's a seven-syllable Greek word that has a, a very different meaning. It's different than just taking blood from animals and bringing it to, to cover your sins. No, this kind of blood, this blood, to so this outpouring of blood, it would represent the willingly given blood uh, that, that's the idea that somebody would willingly give their blood, and not just a little of it, all of it. That there would be an outpouring of all their blood. You know, in biblical times, it, it was easy to fall into debt. And debt could pile up. They didn't have those debt reduction plans or anything like that. Debt could easily pile up. And, and if you found yourself into too much debt, a common practice was to then go ahead and just sell yourself into slavery. Now, you'd go into slavery to pay your debt, but you'd risk having a horrible master. And maybe you'd have a hope that maybe one day there'd be a relative or a friend who would come along and pay for your debt so you didn't have to be a slave anymore. And sometimes that debt would pile up so much that it was considered a crime, and you would be thrown into a Roman jail to pay back your debts to society, to pay for your crimes. Now, in the Roman times, everybody could see you in that jail cell, and there was, uh, what the Roman soldiers would often do is they'd take a piece of parchment and they'd take that parchment and they'd place it on the outside of your jail cell and it would list your debt to society. It would list your crimes and, and, and what you would, how much of your life you were gonna to need to give in order to pay those back. And once you, once you had given enough of your life, there rotting in a jail cell, the Roman soldier would come along and they would often stamp that parchment and the stamp would read, Tetales Stoi. Tetelestoi, meaning paid in full, paid in full. The scriptures of the Bible tell us that Jesus willingly went to a cross, willingly giving his blood on our behalf, not just a little, all of it. And that when he did it, one of the last things he said before dying is he yelled out the word tetelestoi. Paid in full, or as we sometimes interpret it, it is finished. You see, for God, it's not about blood, it's about life, it's about your life, and your life has a cost. And Jesus willingly paid the cost for your life, willingly outpoured every drop so that it could be paid in full. Not because you deserved it, not because you could earn it back, but just because he loves you that much. The writer of Hebrews, he goes on. Verse 24. For the Messiah did not enter into the earthly tabernacle, but he entered into heaven itself to appear before the face of God in our place. Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. But when we die, we will be face to face with Christ, the one who experienced death once and for all to bear the sins of many. See, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that when we close our eyes in this existence and open up to a new existence, there is a trial. There is a trial. And for many people, when they close their eyes here and open their eyes there, the first thing they will see is a judge. A judge ready to read the crimes, ready to read the death. But there will be those who follow Jesus. And for those when, who follow Jesus, when they close their eyes in this existence and they open their eyes into a new existence, the first thing they see will not be a judge, but rather they will see Jesus face to face. When I was 16, I uh, just got my license. I was going out on a date, very excited to take this girl out on a date. And so excited that as we were pulling out of her neighborhood, I failed to see the yield sign. And so I did not yield. And I pulled through an intersection, I hit another car. The date was over. <laughs> she walked home. I spent the rest of the night in the back of a police car filling out paperwork and being handed citations. Ironically, my parents were on a date during that time, and this was before cell phones. They were watching a movie. They stopped the movie in the movie theater, turned on the lights, and yelled over the loudspeaker, Mr. and Mrs. Goodley, your son has been in a car accident. <laughs> when my parents arrived on the scene, and they saw all the damage to the car, but saw that I was perfectly well. They wanted to kill me. Um, it was a rough night. It was a rough night. But it didn't stop there, because I had a summons to appear in court. I had taken what little money I had to help pay for the damages of the car. I had taken, uh, we had a family friend who was an attorney and he offered his services to us and we took him up on those services and I paid for his services. I remember the the day I was to appear in court, 16 years old, standing outside the courtroom, sweating and nervous, knowing that there might be more punishment that I would have to do and go through. Uh, My, before I could go into the courtroom, my attorney actually walked out of the courtroom, walked right over to me and he said, I just talked with the judge and everything's gonna be okay. So I walked in the courtroom with my attorney. The judge was there. He read the events of that evening. He read my crimes. He read my debt. He read everything I was guilty of. But I didn't have to say a word. My attorney spoke up and he said, Your Honor, I have offered my services to Mr. Goodlett. He has taken me up on those services and I believe that should be enough. And I watched as the judge dismissed my case. I remembered all the wrong I did in those moments, but I got to walk out of that courtroom with my record wiped clean. And Jesus stands with the same offer for us. Willingly offering himself every drop of blood to cover the debt to cover the crimes willingly offering his services his salvation and the question is do we want to take him up on it see the gospel message is not don't sin no the gospel message is God loves you God loves you he loves you so much that he has prepared a paradise for the innocent, for those whose records have been wiped clean. He's prepared a a punishment for the guilty and a plan for the repentant. And if you have never made the decision to take Jesus Jesus up on his offer, today's your day. Today is your day to allow him to pay. You don't have to. You couldn't if you tried but to allow him to cover the cost of your life, to allow him to buy you back to your creator. You don't have to walk around being a devolved being anymore. And today's your day to accept him. And there's a very simple way you could do that today. You can go on the app, you can click on that beach baptism button and you can say, you know what? Today I wanna be baptized. You can go to our guest services table as you leave and you can sign up to be baptized today at five o'clock at Honeymoon Island. You know, Romans 6 tells us that that when we go under those waters, we die to an old life and we rise to a new life in Christ Jesus. And today is your day to understand God's love for you and accept it. Today is your day. When you understand God's love, it changes your life. It changes your life. And today is a good day for life change. For, For the rest of us who've made that decision already, It's still a good day to understand God's love for us and to let it be a game changer in our lives. I think sometimes we go, yeah, I get it, I get it. God loves me, God loves me. But do you? Let me just ask you, does anybody here just feel unloved today? Maybe you need a reminder. Maybe maybe you kind of know on a surface level that God loves you, but but there's such a depth to that love. In fact, I, I think we'll spend eternity trying to, to describe it, trying to understand it. And, and, and when we understand it, it makes us fully aware of our, our sin and where we've fallen short, but it also makes us so aware and appreciate, appreciative of a plan that God has for us. And, and so, so I think one of the best things we could do today is just simply focus on that message and dig for a deeper understanding Or maybe just to hear him say it. I love you. I love you. We're going to take these next few moments and give give an opportunity for God just to remind us of what's so easy to forget. In fact, if you've got your communion elements, you can pull those out right now. But I, I want you to just take a moment and see if you can hear God I can tell you what you're not gonna hear. You're not gonna hear how disappointed he is in you or you know, how you gotta stop sinning in this way. No, if you hear the voice of God, it sounds like this. I love you. And he so desperately wants you to understand the depth of that love. And so let's take a moment where we just listen for his voice. And if you still can't hear it, I invite you to look at the elements, to do what Jesus asked us to do, that when we look at that piece of bread, we would remember his love for us and how Jesus was willing to be broken. When we drink the juice, we would remember that love that was poured out on our behalf because of God's love for us. But would you just take a moment this morning to just remember a simple truth that has so much depth and that changes how we walk out of this place. God loves you. Let's spend some time with him.
3: with me and respond today. we thank you for this love. We thank you for your blood that covers us, that makes us new. We thank you that there's life in the blood, that there's truth in the blood, that we find belonging in you, God. So we thank you for the good news of this gospel. We pray for anyone today that has made a decision to put their faith in you, and we bless them in Jesus' name. We thank you that you have set them apart for a purpose, for a plan to become the fullness of everything you paid for. So we bless them in their coming and their going when they lay their head to sleep, God. Would you increase their faith? I pray for the rest of us that have walked with you. Would you empower us today by the spirit of God to share this good news, to share this love, to walk in this love, to become this love. We want to live a life that you fully paid for. We don't want to settle for less than that. So today we bless you, we honor you, we give you praise and thanksgiving. We say thank you for loving us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you.